and welcome to Weird on the Rocks. This is a podcast that explores the weird, unusual, strange, and unexplained all while getting our drink on. I'm your host, Katie. I'm really excited for today's episode, and I think it's going to be a really fun one. I'm going to be talking about famous alien abductions. I plan on doing a future episode that covers people's firsthand accounts of their abductions, but in today's episode, I'm going to be covering abductions that garnished media and public attention. So I'm sure all of us have heard stories or seen drawings or pictures of these flying saucer type things sucking people up in a beam of light. And I think that no matter where you stand on the issue, whether or not you actually believe in aliens, um, I think we are all kind of intrigued by the idea of something unknown being out there and possibly contacting us and interacting with us. I think it's kind of a human thing to wonder what else is out there. Are we truly alone? In fact, according to a 2012 poll taken by National Geographic, 77% of Americans believe in aliens. And in a 2015 YouGov poll, 30% of Americans believe the government has covered up evidence of alien visitation. I know I've been interested in the idea of aliens from a very young age, and I've always had the belief that we're definitely not alone in the universe. We are a very tiny, insignificant speck out there, and I just think it's kind of crazy to believe we're the only planet with life. Now, I really don't know what kind of life is out there. Aliens could look like the drawings we see of these little gray or green guys with big eyes. Um... I mean, they could be little worms. They could look like humans. They could look like something we can't even imagine. But I think it's definitely fun to ponder what could be and what is out there. But I think some of the fun in this is that none of us know, and aliens might look different to all of us in our own minds. I hope that no matter where you stand on the belief of extraterrestrial life, that you can keep an open mind during today's episode and at least be a little entertained with what I have to share. As always, you can find the show on Facebook and Instagram at Weird on the Rocks Podcast and the website at weirdontherocks.weebly.com. Please subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast now and rate and review the show on iTunes. That really helps me. Thank you. Before we get started today, I want to share this week's beverage of choice. Um, tonight, I am drinking something called the Alien Shooter. So this is a shooter. It's kind of just like a big shot, but it has different types of alcohol in it. And you take it all at once like a shot. And this one has melon liqueur, Irish cream and vodka. And at first I was thinking Irish cream and melon, that sounds disgusting, but it's actually really delicious mixed together. And it's a really cool drink because it separates in the shot glass and it makes different layers. And the melon liqueur is bright green. So it definitely gives it a kind of creepy alien feel. I will post pictures of this on my Instagram and Facebook. You guys should look at it. It's a very cool drink. So I had one before I recorded, and then I'll probably take a break at some point and have another one. All right, well, let's get into it. Cheers, and let's get weird. So the first story I'm going to tell tonight is that of Antonio Villas Boas. In 1957, 
23-year-old Antonio was a Brazilian farm worker working late at night to avoid the hot daytime temperatures. Antonio says that while working, he saw a red light in the sky that he thought was a star. However, the light slowly approached him until he could see that it was an egg-shaped craft with a red light on the front. He says the ship extended legs beneath it and slowly ascended into the field. Antonio said he jumped on his tractor, but only got a few feet before the lights on the tractor went out and the engine died. He then continued to try and flee on foot, but Antonio didn't get far because he was stopped in the field by three humanoids, which he described as short, wearing gray coveralls and helmets. They had small blue eyes and made barking-type noises instead of talking. The three creatures apprehended Antonio and dragged him into their craft. He says that once he was in the ship, they stripped him of his clothes and covered him in a strange gel. A blood sample was taken from his chin, and then the room filled with a gas that made him vomit. When Antonio recovered from being sick, a female humanoid entered the room. He said she had a small, pointed chin and large, blue cat-like eyes. And this is where things get a little weird. He says the hair on her head was long and white, but her underarm and pubic hair was bright red. He said that he was strongly attracted to the woman, and the two had sexual intercourse. During this act, Antonio noted that the female did not kiss him, but instead nipped him on the chin. He said the creature seemed relieved when the task was done, and he felt angered by the situation. Antonio said he was then walked through the ship to exit, but he tried to steal a clock-looking item to prove of his abduction, but the creatures caught him and made him put it back. He was then escorted off the ship and remembers standing in the field and watching it fly away. When he returned home, he noticed he had been gone for almost five hours. After the abduction, he claims to have suffered with weakness, nausea, and lesions on his skin. He eventually answered an ad in the newspaper written by journalist Jose Martins, which was looking for people who had experience with alien abduction. Martins then put Antonio in contact with Dr. Olavo Fontes of the National School of Medicine of Brazil. Fontes examined Antonio and determined that he had been exposed to a large dose of radiation and was now experiencing radiation sickness. Antonio's story was printed in the June 1962 issue of the Brazilian UFO Periodical. Antonio stuck with his story until his death in 1991. However, many believe that his story was a hoax and was actually inspired by a similar abduction story that was printed in the Brazilian UFO Periodical just a few months before but Antonio is no longer with us, so I guess we'll never know if this really happened or not. So our second story is that of married couple Betty and Barney Hill. And no, they are not Flintstones. They both claim to have been abducted in September of 1961 in New Hampshire. And this was the first widely publicized alien abduction story in the United States at the time. On September 19th, 1961, around 10.30 p.m., Betty and Barney were driving home from a vacation in Niagara Falls when Betty says she saw light in the night sky that moved erratically and was growing in size as well as getting brighter. She told Barney to stop the car and he pulled over at a picnic area just south of Twin Mountain. Betty took out a pair of binoculars from their car and observed an odd-shaped craft that was flashing multicolored lights moving across the face of the moon. Barney told Betty it was probably a plane until he too witnessed the object turn around quickly and move in their direction. 
They got into their car and drove toward Franconia Notch, a very narrow and windy mountain road. They drove slowly in order to keep their eyes on the object. The object eventually got close enough to the car that Barney stopped it in the middle of the road, and it hovered there about 100 feet above them. They said the object was so big that it took up the entire view from their windshield, and Barney described it as looking like a giant pancake. Barney retrieved the binoculars again and looked up at the aircraft, saying he saw 8 to 11 humanoid figures inside peering out through the object's windows. They were wearing black, glossy uniforms and black caps. Red lights began to shine underneath the ship, and a long structure descended from the bottom. Barney immediately got back into the car and told Betty, They're going to capture us. He drove away quickly, while Betty looked out her window to watch the craft. They began to hear loud beeping and buzzing sounds, causing the car to vibrate, and the hills said it sent a tingling sensation through their bodies. They then remember entering some type of altered state of consciousness, which left their minds dulled. They realized they had driven almost 35 miles without any recollection of how they got there. Barney and Betty eventually got home and then began experiencing odd behaviors and impulses. Betty wouldn't let their luggage into their home, both of their watches stopped working, and they both felt compelled to take long, scalding hot showers. The leather strap on the pair of binoculars was broken, Barney's shoes were scuffed, and Betty's dress was ripped at the zipper and had some sort of pink powdery substance on it. On September 21st, Betty called Pease Air Force Base to report the incident, but left out some details in fear of being considered crazy. Major Paul Henderson, who took the call, said they probably misidentified the planet Jupiter. Soon after, Betty rented a UFO book from the library written by retired Marine Corps Major Donald Kehoe. She immediately wrote to Kehoe detailing everything about their experience. The letter was then passed to Walter Webb, a Boston astronomer. He met with the Hills for a six-hour meeting and believed their story to be true. Two months after the incident, Betty began to have reoccurring vivid dreams. In these dreams, Betty said she was accompanied by two small men who had dark eyes and hair, blue lips, and gray skin. They walked up a ramp into a disc-shaped craft, and her and Barney were taken into two separate rooms. A new gray man entered the room and called himself the examiner and said he was going to do a few tests on her. He spoke in English, although Betty said it was difficult to understand. Using a bright light, the man examined her eyes, nose, throat, and ears. He also cut off a lock of her hair, collected fingernail clippings, and scraped some of her skin into something that looked like cellophane. He also poked a needle into her belly button, which Betty said was excruciating, but he waved his hand in front of her face and the pain was gone. That man left and she was alone with someone called the leader, who gave her a book filled with symbols and codes and told her she could take it home. She asked the leader where they were from and he took out a map of stars and pointed to a cluster. The next thing Betty remembers is her and Barney being escorted from the ship when a disagreement between the men broke out. The leader then told Betty that, in fact, she couldn't keep the book because the other men don't want her to remember the experience. They were taken to their car where they were told to wait until the craft disappeared before they drove away. In January of 1964, both Barney and Betty began hypnosis sessions that were recorded. While being hypnotized, Barney became very emotional and appeared to be very anxious and afraid. He recalled that his leather binocular strap broke as he was running back to his car. Once inside the vehicle, he had the strong feeling to drive into the woods. In the woods, he saw six men standing on the dirt road. Barney stopped the car, and the leader approached him and told him not to fear them, and to close his eyes, and Barney recalled that it felt like their eyes had pushed into my eyes. 
He also recalled the men's eyes having a strong, mesmerizing effect and said, Oh, those eyes, they're in my brain. Like Betty's dream, Barney says they were taken onto the ship and brought into separate rooms. There he was placed on a table. A sperm as well as skin sample were taken, and he was probed anally with a thin object, and he said it felt like someone was touching his spine and counting his vertebrae. Barney remembers the men speaking in a mumbled language he couldn't understand, but that he could communicate with them through thought, like telepathy. They were then escorted to their car and watched the craft fly away. Betty was also placed under hypnosis several times, and although some of the details matched the vivid reoccurring dreams she had been having, some were different. The technology on the ship had changed, as well as the appearance of the men. She also was able to sketch a copy of the star map she had been shown on the ship, which consisted of 12 stars with lines connecting them, which Betty said were trade routes. Betty also experienced strong emotions during her hypnosis sessions, and one time the session ended due to her being in hysterics. However, the hypnosis sessions seemed successful for the couple, and they reported less anxiety and fear about their experience, and Betty's dreams stopped. During the next few years, the Hills story gained traction and they became well-known, and a book based off their experience titled The Interrupted Journey was published in 1966. In this book was a copy of the sketch Betty had made of the star system the men in the ship claimed to be from. In 1968, an amateur astronomer named Marjorie Fish created a three-dimensional model of the map and concluded that it appeared to be the star system Zeta Reticuli. This map was eventually sent to Terence Dickinson, editor of the magazine Astronomy. He ran a copy of the map in an issue of the magazine, opening up commentary from the public. For over a year, each month's issue had a comment section regarding the map. Famed astronomer Carl Sagan even chimed in, saying that the star map was no more than a random alignment of chance points, saying that the sketch by Betty Hill bore little resemblance to the actual Zeta Reticuli star system. Over the years, many skeptics have found ways to discredit the story of Barney and Betty Hill. Many believe that the couple waited two years to undergo hypnosis in order to corroborate their stories and make sure they matched up. Others believe that the Hills got the idea from television because an episode of the show, The Outer Limits, had aired an episode about alien abductions just two weeks before their incident. There was also a 1953 film called Invaders from Mars that had similarities to the Hills story and a man named Jim McDonald, who lived in the area where the Hills claimed to be abducted, said that they most likely saw an aircraft warning beacon, which flashes on and off during the night. He believes that driving in the dark late at night caused them to hallucinate, and UFO expert Robert Schaefer says they are the poster children for not driving while sleep-deprived. The story of Barney and Betty Hill has been referenced many times in pop culture since, with a film in 1975 titled The UFO Incident starring James Earl Jones and a 1996 TV series called Dark Skies. Their story was also referenced in the 12th episode of Carl Sagan's miniseries Cosmos, as well as an X-Files episode. More recently, in the second season of the show American Horror Story titled Asylum, a couple named Kit and Alma Walker, who were abducted by aliens, was loosely based off the couple as well. Barney Hill died in 1969 at the age of 46 from a cerebral hemorrhage, and Betty, who never remarried, died in 2004 at the age of 85. The Hill story is definitely the most well-known alien abduction story, and if you just Google alien abduction, it's the first thing to pop up. But like all the other stories out there, no one truly knows if this story is real 
or if they made it up for some reason. Today's last story is going to be that of Travis Walton. In November of 1975, 22-year-old Travis Walton, a forestry worker, was working with a timber crew of six co-workers in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest near Snowflake, Arizona. The men were driving home in a pickup truck after a long day of work when they saw a saucer-shaped object ahead of them hovering in the night sky. The object made a high-pitched buzzing noise. Walton exited the vehicle to take a closer look at the object when he says a beam of light shined down on him. His co-workers were yelling and cursing at him to get back into the truck, but Travis felt frozen. A warm, numbing feeling went through his body and he was knocked unconscious, and his co-workers recall him being thrown into the air at least 10 feet and falling in a position that made them believe he was dead. Out of fear, the six men in the truck just drove away and left him. One of the men, Peterson, called the police and Deputy Sheriff Chuck Ellison answered. He only reported that his co-worker was missing, but left out the details. Deputy Ellison met the men at a local shopping center to get their story, and he said they all seemed distraught, and two of them were even in tears. He said if they were acting, they were awfully good at it. Deputy Ellison, along with Sheriff Marlon Gillespie, went with the men to the scene, but could find no evidence and no trace of Travis Walton. Meanwhile, Walton regained consciousness and found himself in a hospital-like room surrounded by three small, bald creatures wearing orange jumpsuits. He was then taken to another room by a human-looking man wearing a black, shiny helmet. A plastic mask was put over his face, and again, he went unconscious. From that time on, Walton says he doesn't remember anything and woke up again while walking down the highway, while the saucer flew away above him. Walton didn't know it, but he'd been missing for five days. During the time he was missing, his co-workers were investigated seriously and were suspected of foul play. Walton was found walking down the highway and was taken to the hospital and was given physical and medical evaluations. In the days following Walton's reappearance, he and his co-workers were all given polygraph tests by the Arizona Department of Public Safety. They were asked questions such as, Did you harm Travis? Did you really see a UFO? All of the men, with the exception of Alan Dallas, who got up and left because he became irritated and uncooperative, were determined to be telling the truth. After news of the story broke, the National Enquirer magazine rewarded each man $5,000 for Best UFO Case of the Year. Since the incident, there have been many skeptics believing that Walton's story is a hoax in order to get media attention and money. UFO researcher Philip Class says there are too many discrepancies between Walton and his co-worker's stories and that the polygraph tests were poorly administered. A blood and urine sample taken by Walton in the hospital immediately after also showed no presence of ketones, when a human who has gone for five days without food or water would be in ketosis and have high level of ketones in their blood and urine. The medical examiner also found a red spot in the crease of Walton's elbow, which looked like it could have been from a hypodermic needle, although it wasn't near a vein. To this day, Travis Walton and his co-workers all stand by their story. In an interview with the Huffington Post in 2015, Travis Walton said that the forest where he was abducted from had some testing done in 1990. These tests apparently showed that the trees nearest to where the UFO had been were producing wood fiber at 36 times the rate of the other trees nearby, and that core samples revealed that there was thickened growth on the side of the trees closest to the UFO. In 1987, Travis published the book The Walton Experience about his story, and in 1993, his book was adapted into a film called Fire in the Sky. 
Like the other two stories, there's really no evidence to prove whether these experiences really happened to these people or not. But Travis Walton and all of his co-workers have cooperated and all still agree with their original story. In fact, you can find some videos on YouTube of Travis Walton talking about his experience, and he does seem like a very intelligent and credible man. So what do you guys think? All right, well, that's going to be it for today's episode. Um, Alien abductions are something I go back and forth with a lot. I definitely believe in alien life and that there are probably thousands of different extraterrestrial beings out there, but I'm not sure if I believe that abductions are happening in this way exactly. Sadly, I think it's one of those things that you won't ever fully believe unless it happens to you. And these people who claim to have been abducted do get judged by society as being crazy. It seems like the people who claim to have been abducted are very average people who have no reason to make up lies. There haven't ever been any big celebrities or public figures who have talked about being abducted. So I don't know, um, maybe the aliens are surveilling us and purposely picking individuals who are less likely to be believed or maybe are on the outskirts of society in some way. Some of the research I did for this episode also turns up people who believe that some of the people missing in the world, the ones who just disappear without a trace, that maybe these people were abducted and just never brought back for some reason and are maybe being examined and studied long term or that maybe they were killed on purpose or on accident, but that they're not on this earth anymore and that no matter how much we look, we'll never find them. People like Madeline McCann or Mara Murray or Natalie Holloway. As outrageous and crazy as these things sound, I think there really is something exciting in believing that there are possibilities out there. One of my favorite sayings is, I would rather have my mind open by wonder than closed by belief. And that's kind of how I feel about aliens and alien abduction. I will keep my mind open until I have proof otherwise. Well, thank you so much for joining me again today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please let me know what you guys think. I find that aliens are kind of a polarizing subject. I have definitely talked to people before that thought I was absolutely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because I think there might be aliens out there. And there are others who have had experiences themselves and wholeheartedly believe that aliens are trying to communicate with us and that they're here on Earth already. So find me on Facebook or Instagram at Weird on the Rocks podcast or my website, weirdontherocks.weebly.com. And let me know what you guys think. I love talking about this stuff. All right. And until next time, cheers and stay weird. Mm -hmm.